I want to talk about marriage this morning, and so this is my marriage voice. I'd like to say that I planned this because of the uh, wedding expo, but I had no clue. Uh, 1 Timothy, chapter 4, Paul writing to Timothy in verse 16 says, Take heed to yourself or to your life and to doctrine. Seems like that there is doctrine that tells us about God and his purposes and plans, but there's also life stuff, applying the word of God to our life. And that's what I want to do. We've been talking about foundations and laying the foundations of the church. I want to take a brief detour for the next couple of weeks and hit a couple of life things. What are life things? Marriage, relationships, kids, uh, work, business, all that kind of stuff. Uh, is life stuff. You know that God's word speaks to that because he knows what he's doing. Talking about marriage, there isn't, uh, nothing's new. And so there's some things I want to share with you, but I want to acknowledge that I've been around for a long time and I've had a lot of good input from people like Dudley and Ann Daniel and Leon and Pat Van Dahl. I've read tons of books. So I don't want to, to portray in any way that what I'm sharing this morning originates with me. There is truth in God's word, but there's also a lot of good people. And so there's a whole bunch more. Bottom line is that God instituted marriage, not the government. Marriage has been around longer than there's been governments. How many of you knew that? Governments don't decide what marriage is. God does. But God's word, his pattern is like a handbook for a car. You know when you buy a car, if you ever bought a new car, they give you the handbook and it tells you how things work. Uh, I bought a used car when we moved here from the States and it still had the handbook. Did I read it? No. (laughs) Because I thought I already knew and that's the problem. We think we already know. But God's word is like a handbook that tells you how you function best. Okay, we might think we know and we might get a lot of advice from other people or input, but there's no better input than from the originator. This is how he made us. You know, like a car, if you put gas in the gas tank and oil in the crankcase and water in the radiator, keep the tires pumped up, it'll run okay. But you know, it's your car. You can get it home and you can decide, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to put oil in the crankcase. I'm not going to put water in the radiator. I'm not going to put gas in the gas tank. It's not going to run very long. In fact, you can actually do just the opposite. You can say, I'm going to put gas in the radiator, water in the crankcase, and oil in the gas tank. It's your car. It's stupid, (laughs) but it's your car. Too often, many of us build our lives with that idea. I'm going to just try. I'm going to do whatever I want. We want to get back to the handbook. Mary and I have uh, been married for 40 years. We were both Christians when we got married. But for 40 years, we've been learning and improving. We can always grow in strengthening our marriage. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Some of you said, I knew he was going to go here. I'm going to surprise you because I'm not going to go where you think I am. (laughs) Ephesians 5, 
Verse 16. It says, redeeming the, the time because the days are evil. And then chapter 6. Verse 13. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. I think the Holy Spirit was putting those two expressions, almost like parentheses, around what's in the middle. In the evil day, the emphasis becomes be filled with the Spirit, marriage, family, and business. In that parentheses. Those are the things that we need to give attention to because those are the things that are the attack of the enemy. 1 John 5, 19 says the whole world lies on the influence of the evil one. I want to tell you, I believe that there's an attack on marriage, family, and business in this day. It's very hard to, to do business. I'm not going to talk about that, but it's very hard to do business from a place of integrity anymore. Those of you who run businesses know that. So I want to talk about strengthening the foundation of marriage. Now hear me very carefully. Some of you aren't married. This is for you. Some of you might be single, young, maybe going to get married someday, lay the right foundation. When I say marriage is under attack, I don't mean the institution of marriage. I mean your marriage. Because your marriage as Christians represents Christ and the King. It re represents Christ and his church, which we'll read in Ephesians in a moment. So, a couple of scriptures. We're going to start with Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And then over the other end of the Bible in 1 Peter, which is just before 1 John, which is just before Revelation, if you're going backwards. Verse 7 says, Husbands, likewise dwell with them, talking about your wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife, as to a weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of God, that your prayers may not be hindered. There's a whole lot of misunderstanding about words of the Bible. And sometimes we make all kinds of things. It says, give honor to your wife as a weaker vessel. It doesn't say women are weaker. In fact, my wife is a whole lot stronger than I am creativity-wise. She's incredibly intelligent. She's very much more creative. She's not weaker in any of those things. Spiritually, she's not weaker. As a vessel, physically, she might be a little bit weaker. I'm 6'1", 200 pounds. She's 5'4 and a half and uh, 120 pounds on a good day. <laughs> uh, and so I probably have an advantage physically. But see, we take that word and we make it a whole lot more than it actually says. I heard a friend say that that word actually is more delicate, almost like crystal, a crystal vase, vase 
as opposed to a rough pottery. There's something of honoring. We're going to come back to that. Back with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 25, husbands love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of the body of members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And then he quotes Genesis. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, Let each of you, in particular, so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I've read that for years, and all of a sudden, a few years ago, that last line jumped out at me. We're talking about love, and all of a sudden, he throws in respect. We're going to come back to that. I want to talk about how to strengthen your marriage. I'm going to give you three major points. I could spend an hour on each one. I'm going to hit two of them real quick, and then I'm going to spend some more time on the third one because that's where I want to get to. So please be patient with me today. The first point is strengthening your marriage. Recognize you're a team. You're in this together. The two are one. You don't exclude one another. Now what I've just done is said something in different words that you've probably heard before. Marriage is covenant. But as soon as I say that, all the thoughts that you've had come in. Bottom line is that we're in this together. We're a team. That supersedes everything else the Bible says. That's what God instituted, that the two become one. Like I said, I could speak for an hour on that. I won't, because I want to get to the, uh, the other part. And I don't think my voice will last that long. Second point, assume a positive intent. That's kind of a weird statement. You know that uh, Apple organization that, that, that makes the computers, in their training of their managers, that's one of their key points in training man- managers. They use that statement, assume a positive intent. Assume that what people did, even if it didn't turn out good, that they intended good. Sounds like 1 Corinthians 13, love expects the best. See, I just said it a little bit differently. Assume a positive intent. If we're in this together, I have to assume my wife's intent is good. Okay, I'm talking about God's pattern for marriage, not the world. Okay? 
And that's important that we understand that. And then thirdly, the point I want to get to is communication. She needs love. He needs respect. She, for her, love means connectivity. A uh, doctoral student was given that phrase and he asked all the other students, mostly women, define connectivity. And they couldn't. But they say, but we know it when it happens. <laughs> so we're talking about communication. How to express love to her so she can hear. I'm going to talk to the men first. Women, you can still take notes, but you just make sure you pull your elbows in. Okay, it's not notes like this. For a woman, love means being connected. And I'm going to give you an acronym just to help you remember. She can hear. I'm going to use the term couple. Okay? Just to help you remember. Men. I'm speaking to men primarily right now. How do you express love to her so that she can hear? What is, how do you get this connectivity? Couple is, is the answer. C is closeness. It actually means listening to her. Women need face-to-face time. We're going to talk about men in a little while. Men need more shoulder-to-shoulder time, but women need face-to-face time. They, they need to be in your face. They need to, to know that you're actually looking at them, listening to them. Women, for the most part, tend to be expressive-responsive. Men are quite a bit different. And we're going to talk about that in a, in a second. My, uh, my middle son, we used to live in Denver. And uh, he came over to my house to watch uh, uh, a hockey game. It was the Stanley Cup playoffs that was just starting. And he came in and I said hi. And we went down because our TV's in the basement. We went down to the basement. We sat there and we watched the game. Didn't say a word. Didn't talk about the game. Didn't say anything. The whole game. Sitting side by side watching the game. When it was over, he got up and said, see ya. I left. My wife can't do that. Just because she's different. That's not face-to-face time. She needs face-to-face time. So not only is it close, but it also is being open. Being close to your wife is good, but being open. Talking to her, not closing her out. Now that seems obvious, but understand this from us men. Men realize that it's honorable not to do or say the wrong thing. Right? Therefore, when we're unsure, we don't say anything. Silence is better than saying the wrong thing. Right? Okay. Women, you need to understand that. But men, you need to understand that that's not what, that's not what expresses love to your wife. Being silent isn't what express, expresses love. 
And so she's just looking. It doesn't always have to be right. It just has to be open. To say, hey, I don't know, is better than not saying anything. C-O-U, U is understanding. 1 Peter 3, 7, we read it. Live with her with understanding. Which literally is, says giving honor as heirs together in grace. Grace is a key. Now what am I saying to men? You don't have to fix everything. <laughs> See, there's something in men that when you tell us a problem, we feel like we have to fix it. But women share a problem just to share it. They're not always looking for a fix. Yeah, we think we have to fix it. Sometimes she just needs to share her feelings. She just needs someone to, to listen. So honoring her simply means honoring her feelings and her need to express. used to drive Mary crazy when we first got married. I didn't know this, and so she would share something, and I'd immediately start coming out with, with a whole range of possibilities of how we can change the circumstance and what we can do. We can fix this, and we can do that, and you can do this. And, we, and, the, and she would just get so frustrated because she wasn't actually looking for a fix. I thought she was because that's how men work. She was simply just looking to share. took us a long time. About 40 years. <laughs> Understanding, giving honor. We don't have to fix everything, but it also means leading doesn't mean cutting her out of decisions. And we're going to talk about what leading means. Let me jump in there right now, just because we're here. Most of you have read Galatians 5. It says, that the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Now, how many of you know that that expression is figurative? Do you know that? I'm not literally Mary's head. Right? <laughs> Good thing for her. She's much better looking than I am. But when you, when you use something that's figurative, the word head has three possible meanings. Okay, it can mean someone who's over another. It can mean the first in line, the leader, the head of the line. It can mean the source of life, like the, the head of a river. So when it says that the husband's the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, why do we assume it means that the husband is over the wife and has some authority? Why don't we assume that it means the husband should be in front of the wife leading the way? I want to tell you, this interpretation isn't biblical. Uh-oh, now I'm stepping on toes. Because, we read in Genesis, the two become one. Because Jesus in Matthew 20 says about leadership in the kingdom, 
He says it's not about having control over someone. He says that's how the world works, but not so with you. You should serve. So in light of that understanding, we have to go back to Galatians and say, this is not the best understanding of the word head. This is. What does being in front mean? It means I'll take the bullet first. It means I'll lead the way. Why is that important? Because under, living with your wife with understanding doesn't mean that you make decisions that exclude her or that she's excluded from the process. Unfortunately, that teaching of headship has been communicated to, uh, to much of the Christian world for a lot of years, especially in certain cultures. I have a friend who is South African, was raised in that teaching. I have another friend who actually moved internationally. They moved from one nation to another, and he never even included his wife in the decision. Now, that's just stupid. <laughs> but his heart was sincere because he thought he was living according to the truth. But he had a wrong understanding. And unfortunately, that affected a whole lot of their marriage, and they're not married anymore. He thought I needed a break because I was getting too personal. C-O-U-P, peacemaker. Matthew 5, 9. I'm talking to men about how you communicate love, connectivity to your wife. Peacemaker. You don't have to win. Most of us as men are so competitive Everything becomes a competition, even communication. See, we don't actually have to win. For a woman, if you say to her, I'm sorry, that's an increase in love. I'm sorry, will you forgive me? For men, that's a sign of weakness. I can't do that. I've been, uh, every once in a while I watch something on TV and I, I, I'm a terrible TV watcher because I see everything from a Christian worldview as opposed to a, a worldly worldview. And so I'm constantly seeing all this negative stuff. But it surprises me how almost never will men admit that they're wrong. See, that's how the world works. Second thing about being a peacemaker is you can't shelve things. See, men have this wonderful ability to compartmentalize. And there are certain things that, that we, we can put in a, in a box. Women, everything's connected. Mary and I were watching a... a show the other day 
and it was this intense relational thing and there was this trauma happening in this relationship and love budding in this relationship and all this intense stuff and it finished and I'm drained it's finished and she says did you see any lamps in those rooms that you liked (laughs) and I did exactly I just started laughing and I went I'm I'm focusing on people's face expressions and all the the, and for see for her everything's connected she sees the lamps I didn't even know there were lamps in the room it never registered how many of you uh, have ever bought little fairy lights? You know, that you put in your, on your deck or the little lights that you put on Christmas trees or something. You know, they make two types of lights. They make one type of light that is wired in such a way that if one bulb goes out, all the rest keeps shining and that bulb goes out. But they make another type of light that if one bulb goes out, they all go out. How do I know? We got those for for our deck once. The problem is, when the bulb goes out, how do you find the bulb that's gone out? You gotta go through, you can't just find the bulb, you gotta look at every filament of every bulb. It's it's intense. This one, the bulb that goes out, you just pop the bulb out and put a new bulb in, or the bottom line is all the rest are shining, so that bulb doesn't have that whole much, that effect anyway. So it's not really that big a deal. But in this one, it is. This is men and this is women. Men, one bulb goes out. We just compartmentalize it. It's no big deal. Women, one bulb goes out. They're all out. Men, you need to understand that. You can't shelve it and say, ah, oh, it's no big deal. So husband and wife are having an argument over the kids. And they don't actually resolve it. The husband at one point says, let's go to bed. Let's go have sex. Her, one bulb's out. They're all out. He just puts it on the shelf. What am I saying? Being a peacemaker means that you can't just shelf things. Men can do that. Someone, after I shared this uh, uh, a number of months ago, someone gave me a little video of someone on YouTube talking about men can compartmentalize. And men can put things in compartments and, and lock it away. And they, they open up the compartment and they pull the thing out and they deal with it and they put it back in. It doesn't affect anything else. And women, everything's connected. But what he said is that the worst thing that can happen is that men have a compartment that has nothing in it. And they can open that up and do nothing. What are you thinking? Nothing. (laughs) That doesn't work for a woman because there's no such thing. Everything's connected. What are you thinking? Nothing. And you know what he's thinking? Nothing. (laughs) He's opened up the compartment. He's got it in the little box. I'm living there in the nothing Compartment? What are you thinking? Nothing. (laughs) Woman, everything's connected. Couple. Expressing love to her so that she can hear. Closeness, openness, understanding, peacemaker, loyal. 
being a one-woman man. A couple of key things, men. You can't compare her to someone else. Now think about that. We're constantly presented with this celebrity image of actors and actresses who are not real people. In fact, often the pictures we see have been photoshopped. They don't even, they're, they're not even that perfect. But we have this idea, and as soon as we compare our spouse to someone like that, we're being destructive. It's also one of the reasons why pornography is so destructive for, to relationships. It basically says, I'm looking for someone else. I'm looking for someone different. Now that seems pretty self-evident. But it goes one step further. Do you speak highly of her in front of others? I have a friend who... Uh, is constantly joking negatively about his wife, and I cringe every time I hear it. Now, he's, to him it's a joke, and she might understand, but he's communicating something totally wrong. He's communicating that in a, in a negative sense that shouldn't be done. So I want to just tell you, Watch the joking. Lastly, C-O-U-P-L-E is esteem. Is she really number one? Do you not only not speak negative, do you speak positive? Are you affirming? Ephesians 5.26 talks about the washing of water of the word. Guys, that's not the washing of water of the Bible. That's actually what you say. The words that you say to your wife are actually washing all the junk all the negative, all the comparisons. She sees advertising and immediately feels like she's not as pretty or as something or as something. And she carries that and we have that incredible privilege, men, to wash that off by what we say. That's expressing love. So thing here. I heard a story of a farmer and his wife. She was unhappy and they went to counseling, marriage counseling. She dragged him to marriage counseling and she said to the counselor, counselor said, you know, why are you here? What's the problem? She said, he doesn't love me. And the counselor looked at the farmer and said, what do you have to say about that? He looked at his wife and said, woman, 40 years ago when I married you, I told you I loved you. If I ever change, I'll let you know. That's not communicating love so your wife can hear. Okay, there's something of affirmation that is one of the greatest things that we can actually speak life and healing to people. Now this applies in every relationship, but it applies first and foremost in marriage. It applies to your kids. Do you speak affirmation or do you speak criticism? but it applies to your spouse. How do you speak? Okay, I want to get to the second part. 
How do you, how do you express respect to him? See, women need love. Men need respect. That's what Galatians says. That's why that was thrown in at the end. I read that. And I went, wait, wait, wait. It's all, this whole chapter is talking about men loving their wives. And right at the end it says, and women respect your husband. I went, well, somebody missed it. Where'd that come from? But what he was saying is that the way women spell love is connectivity. The way men spell love is respect. Still talking about love. Just talking about expressing it in a way that he can hear. Okay, I'm using uh, acronyms. I didn't have one for this. So my wife told me I had to make up one. So I'm telling you, I made up this one. It's called SLACS. S-L-A-C-X. Sorry. (laughs) We're one, so I have to listen to my wife. First one is serve and lead. Women, you need to appreciate your husband's desire to serve and to lead. That's a biblical mandate. To be a servant leader. Yeah, he can lead as long as he's going where I want to go. Oh, I want to tell you this. Women, men naturally feel that women are more spiritual. Men naturally feel that women are more spiritual. My wife has this sensitivity to things in the spirit. We travel into some place like Hong Kong and we get off the plane and she's telling me about all these spiritual strongholds and I'm smelling garbage. (laughs) And I go, wow, I have absolutely no spiritual sensitivity at all. He's cool. Don't worry. Everything we, in, in our language, speaks to women's strengths when it comes to spirituality, hearing God, intimacy, all the things that women are good at that men aren't good at. And so we have this innate feeling that women are more spiritual. Yet there's something very clear in the Bible that men have to lead. I wish I had an hour to tell you. I I will, in a few weeks, tell you about that. It doesn't mean what you think it means. And it's not because of why you think it, it is. Okay? It's actually probably just the opposite. But let me ask you, do you affirm your husband when he prays? Do you value his insight? Or do you just ridicule him? Lack of respect. Husbands aren't asked to lead. I'm going to say very quickly, as a teaser for a few weeks, husbands are not asked to lead because they're more spiritual or because they're stronger or more intelligent or any other reason. They're asked to lead because they blew it at creation. What? Timothy talks about Eve was deceived, but Adam wasn't. And most of us 
read into that that she was the problem and he wasn't. But if you go back to Genesis and you see she was deceived by the devil and she took the fruit and gave it to her husband who was with her. See, I always had this picture that Eve was there. The, the, the serpent got her when she was by herself and Adam's away somewhere else and he deceives her and she comes in later with this fruit and says, "How? try this one. And he's deceived as well. But when you read it, he was there with her. She was deceived by the devil and he wasn't and he didn't do anything. Okay, I'm getting, getting excited here. God spoke to Adam. See, when God told him not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Eve wasn't made yet. He told Adam, and Adam had the responsibility of communicating that to his wife. And in the temptation, he stood there like an absolute idiot, silent. And it says in Timothy, she was deceived, but he wasn't. What is it saying? wasn't that she had the, the guilt that he didn't. It was he had the guilt. She was deceived, but he knew exactly what was happening. So I think as a result, God's, in God's bigger picture, he expects men to go back and undo by leading in the right way. Not because we're more spiritual, because we're not but because we're actually making up for a lack. Hmm, okay. Do you appreciate his desire to serve and lead? Achieve. Do you appreciate his desire to work and achieve? You know that God, Adam was given a task before he was given a mate. Genesis 2.15, God created man to do something. There is something in men, a desire to accomplish, to provide, to protect. I want to ask you women, how often do you thank your husband for working and providing? We're talking about expressing love by respect in a way that he can hear. He has a need to provide and protect. Do you appreciate that? Or do you nag him because he's working on You have to go to work again today? No, thank you for working. Let me give you an illustration. And it's a bit sensitive, so please hear my heart. That need is so important in a man that if he loses his job, there's, there's a, a book written about men, and it basically the premise is that most men have a fear that they're one bad decision away from losing everything. Because they have this weight of trying to care for their family and run their business, and if they make the wrong decision, everything will fall apart. I don't think it's quite that bad, but it's like this. It's important if he loses his job, for a woman to say it's not important, we have each other. She's speaking from a relational connectivity point and totally ignoring the importance of respect, that he has a desire to do something, to accomplish something. He has this weight 
of responsibility. Not that it rests on him alone, but that's just part of how he was made. Now please hear, hear my illustration. Saying that to a man is like a woman having a miscarriage and the husband saying, it's okay, we have other children. Totally inappropriate. But we need to understand if we're talking about communicating love and respect so the other can hear. C, uh, S-L-A-C, companion. Like I said, men need shoulder to shoulder time. Sometimes it means just being there while he's doing something. Okay? It doesn't always mean that in the midst of doing something, I have to get him to look me in the face and have a deep discussion. Sometimes it just means being there. Like I told you about my son and I watching hockey. Women, do you make an effort to have shoulder-to-shoulder time as much as you want him to have face-to-face time? If he enjoys football, do you watch football with him even though you'd have no clue what's happening? See, it's not the goal. It's the, the companion. Okay. Couple more. S in my thing, I actually made it X in the thing, but it's sex. Uh oh. Let me say this. If you're talking about respect, women, you need to appreciate his sexual desire for you. Okay, everyone look at the floor instead of looking at me. Men have a physical need for sex. God made them that way. For a woman, it's much more emotional. But do you appreciate that his desire is for you? A wife was talking to her mother who had been married for 47 years. And she said... Seems like he always wants sex. I don't want to have sex unless I'm ready. And her mother, who'd been married for 47 years, says, why would you deny him something that takes so little time and makes him so happy? (laughs) Those of you who are married laugh. See, you need to understand this. Without sexual release, he feels disrespected. Women feel like you, you have to be close to have sex. For him, sex brings you close. I think that's why God made men with a physical need for sex. Because he also made them with a desire to accomplish and achieve, and they can get so focused on that that they're reminded, if we're smart, regularly, that that's not all there is. We also need this connectivity. Women, you're shooting yourself in the foot if you deny him that. Okay, remember we talked about the foundation of everything I'm talking about is covenant, two being one. It's God's pattern. 
Okay, there are problems I understand in the world when people approach relationships from a selfish perspective viewpoint. What do I get out of it? It's not a covenant, it's a contract. And so I'll do my part if you do what your part is and I'll withhold my part if you're withholding your part. And the whole told, that's why I could speak a whole hour on covenant, it's not contract. I understand that, so please don't go there and say, ah, but there's these exceptions. I know there are. I'm talking about God's handbook of how we function best. So what's the opposite of respect to a man? It's comparison. Well, when you compare your husband to someone else, just as when he compares you to a celebrity actress, when you compare your husband to someone who's more spiritual or who's richer or a better provider, you're communicating disrespect. The opposite of respect is comparison. The opposite of respect is contempt. Goes one step further. When you roll your eyes or sigh, he says something, you go, he's such an idiot. That's what you're thinking. What are you communicating? Disrespect. Criticism is the opposite of respect. Now, let me step on some toes here. To a woman, criticism is often an expression of loving. It's the desire to help someone be better. You're often, when you have kids, you're constantly helping them identify the faults so that they can grow, grow better and, and do things better and be better. The problem is when you use that on your husband, it's disrespectful. You can mother your kids, but not your husband. I have a friend who uh, jokingly says this, but to his wife, you're not my mother. She's being critical. Oh, no, if you, if you did it like this, you're not my mother. No, he's jokingly saying, you're being critical now. And that's disrespectful. You still with me? Talking about strengthening marriage. You need to understand this. Women, most affairs don't begin with a sexual temptation, they begin with respect and honor. How often do you hear about someone, I, I don't know how many stories I've heard of pastors who end up leaving their wives and having affairs with their secretary. I know of a pastor in a church in another country, big church, left his wife and married his secretary. I got to think, who's choosing all these secretaries? They must be really, really wonderful people. But you know what happens? If a man's feeling disrespected at home and he goes to work and his secretary respects him and honors him and appreciates him, that's where affairs begin. Begin. 
still with me? Are we still friends? <laughs> Doctrine and life. These are some life things that are real. These are some life things that if you know in advance, maybe they don't apply to you directly, but you will have con- con- contact with people that they will. People who are struggling and don't know. They've built a relationship on a worldly concept and it doesn't work and they're trying to say, how do I fix that? Let me tell you, you can't. When the foundation is wrong and the building begins to crumble, putting some plaster over the cracks doesn't fix the problem. You gotta go back and rebuild the foundation. I want to do a, uh, a series in the next coming months on worldview because it's so essential for us. The devil, Bible says the whole world lies under the influence of the evil one. The values of the world are demonic. They're set against the kingdom of God. God's ways are for our best. It's like the handbook. And when we understand that, but we have a whole world that is so deceived. I read an article. God was saying, you know, there was a, another school shooting in Texas this last week. And they're saying, we don't know the, the motivation. And a guy wrote this article and says, we absolutely do know the motivation. I can tell you 100%. He was a, a detective, homicide detective for years. And he categorized all the, uh, the murders. And he said, murder is, is done for one of three reasons. Money, relationships, sex, relationships, or power. He said, do you think it's something else? It's not. It's one of those three. Every single time. He said, this shooting, this kid in, in Texas had nothing to do with money. It had to do with relationships and power. He was pursuing a young girl. She rejected him. He pursued her, she rejected him, she eventually humiliated him in front of the class. So he began to buy weapons, knives, and so that others would begin to, to fear him, to have power, and eventually he comes in and he kills a whole bunch of, of people. He said, that's the motivation. He said, you try to make it something else. And then he said this, until we understand that the values we accept as a world that condones greed, lust, and the grabbing of power are set against how we function best. We will never change. He said this will happen again and again and again because the values we've set in as a foundation in our culture are not how we work. The values of the world when it comes to marriage are not how we work. Would you bow your head? (coughs) Father, in these days that are evil, we realize that we have the incredible privilege of being light in darkness. 
our relationship with you, but also our relationships with one another. Lord, you said, by this will all men know you're my disciples, by your love for one another. And Lord, we realize that that begins in the very first relationship, which is our relationship in marriage. Not the first relationship chronologically, but importance-wise. And Lord, in these days, we're asking that you would strengthen relationships. That we can be a light. We realize that in doing that, we have the, the joy of living how we're made and the, the privilege of enjoying that. But we also get to be a light. Father, for those of us who, that hasn't worked that way. For whatever reason. Lord, this is not a place, we realize that it's not a place for condemnation. But it's a place for laying the foundation for the future. That we can build. Not just say, hey, well, I'm going to try it with a different person. But with a different foundation. Lord, where we've been hurt in the midst of this, I just ask that you'd bring healing. Lord, where we have people in our sphere of influence who are struggling because they built on the wrong foundation. Lord, help us. Lead us by your spirit to rebuild the foundation so that their life can be built on the solid rock. Lord, we realize that that begins first and foremost with our relationship with you. And so we want to just finish there, that that's the first one. And if we don't know you, if you don't know Jesus, the basis of every relationship begins with knowing him. Because without knowing him, we approach every relationship as if we're an empty cup looking for someone to fill us. Selfishness. But when we know him, he fills our cup. And we come with a full cup looking to love. Well, for those of us who have been empty, would you fill us? But for those who don't know, would you draw them to yourself? In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.